and I'm walking down the hallway and we're about to get in the elevator and he, he goes in. It's the first time I ever interacted with him. I just pulled him aside. I said, hey, man, great fight. Just do yourself a favor. Get any coach, anybody who's willing to teach you any slight bit of defense and you're going to go very far in life. Usually a fighter's biggest asset is also their biggest weakness. They overwork. They want to work too hard. You know, it's like a guy with too much power always wants to, wants to hit too hard, relies on it. You know? Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 25 of the Good People, Bad Intentions podcast. And today, as our guest, I have Stevie Bailey. Now, Stevie is a coach at the TNT Boxing Academy in Guelph, Ontario. He is the coach for our previous guest, Brandon Brewer, as well as Ryan Rosicki. And I'm really excited to have him as a guest because, of course, I want to talk about the uh, title eliminator fight that he had with uh, Ryan Rosicki not too long ago. Um, I also want to touch on kind of his history because I understand that originally he's from Ireland and he studied the Irish language. I think that would be really interesting to try to make some connections, uh, being that Nova Scotia and, and more specifically Cape Breton has some ties with, you know, uh, with Gaelic and the Irish language and, and, and Scottish as well. Um, so it would be a really interesting conversation. So without further ado, guys, uh, here's Stevie. Hello, Stevie. Welcome to the podcast. I really appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me on, man. I'm happy to be here. Hey, uh, I don't know if you remember, um, I, I did meet you in person for the uh, St. Valentine's Massacre. It was kind of like a quick a quick little meeting, but uh, I was cornering uh, uh, Adam Hazelton when he fought against um, uh, Josh Prince. Oh, the um, night, the night uh, so, Ryan fought Reznicek. Exactly. Yes, exactly. yes, yes. I vaguely remember that. Yeah, I I, I okay. meet way too many and people I, down east at once. Okay, um, I and I had a chance to also meet your your wife Sarah. Yep. She was there, um, like kind of watching him wrap up or whatever in that because we were in the same uh, uh, dressing room or whatnot. Um, so hey, I really appreciate you coming on here. Um, you know, I, I had Brandon on just recently. Nice. Um, you know, we talked about his upcoming fight, uh, June 23rd at the casino Montreal. And he was saying that he has plans to come up into Ontario soon to, uh, to complete his camp. Um, and I'm also seeing that, uh, not too long from now in, in about eight days, you're going to be going, um, having a fight in, in Brampton. Yeah. Uh, your fighter, uh, uh, Josh Wagner, or is it Wagner or Wagner? Wagner, Josh Wagner. Wagner. Okay. Josh Wagner is going to be fighting against Holmes. Um, I imagine, I imagine you're excited. Uh, you, you, you seems to be having, you seem to be having a very, um, tight schedule. Lots of, lots of events coming up. Too um, tight. you know, too tight. Okay. <laughs> okay. Cause like, uh, as I'm sure, you know, there was some, some times where a lot of fight cards were getting canceled and, now things seem to be a little bit, um, you know, the, the gas pedal seems to be going. Everybody wants to get their fights and their experience. Big time. Can you kind of describe the the atmosphere at, at TNT Boxing and, and maybe, you know, how all your fighters and everything, how they're feeling and, and getting all these fights? Uh, it's a pretty good atmosphere right now. Like everybody, everybody in the gym, regardless of what level they're at, whether it be some of the amateurs who just want to have some, you know, local fights, amateurs who are trying to get to provincial level, national level. You got amateurs like my wife trying to get on the world stage. 
and you got these pros and it's a really good environment where everybody's serious for what they're doing and everybody's super respectful of the other person and how serious they are. So it's probably the best environment I've had in the gym in the 10 years I've been here. I'm, I'm really happy with the group of guys I have and girls. They all mesh really well and everybody bounces up each other really well. And I've seen in uh, kind of a previous interview, uh, like doing some research for this interview, uh, you had talked about a little bit about how you try as a coach to kind of adapt to your fighter's particular style. You don't necessarily like have one set style, but you kind of look at the attributes of the, you know, your fighter and the strengths and you try to enforce them. Uh, what's, what's some of the key differences maybe between some of your amateurs, like, like your wife, uh, who's trying to get onto the world stage and, and some of the pros that you have, is there, is there a similar, uh, you know, formula or is it different? Uh, the formula in a, in a strange way is kind of the same for everyone in that I, I like to teach very fundamental basics and how you move your body and then your personality shines through and what your style is, what your style is. So the best example I can give you is the last night down in Cape Breton, I had four fighters and I don't think any of them fought the same way. Oh, really? You know, like Jake is coming in behind a, a really nice jab and he's trying to, he's trying to break the distance, get close to the body. Lucas works behind a really, you know, tight guard. He'll jab the body from distance, but he wants to get close and he wants to catch and counter and he wants to just take you out quick. Uh, Carolyn likes to keep everything at range, stay at range. Even when she's pushing you back, she wants to keep her range, just not fight like any of the other guys. And then uh, even though Ryan hadn't the best night of his career, he normally has a very um, slip and roll his way in, coming behind a few jabs, catch and counter, very low center of gravity. So very different styles right there. Um, with Sarah, we try and get as much different looks into as we can, because that's the benefit of being an amateur, right? You get to fight so many different styles. You can try out so many different things. So we'll more dictate what she's doing when she turns pro in terms of like, okay, she's going to be a come forward pressure fighter, or she's going to be, you know, just control the center circle around or on the back foot, right? But I really do my best not to say you have to do this. You want you want you want fighters to want to do it themselves, and you kind of encourage it as you go, right? And sometimes you got to trick them into doing it without saying you have to do this. Just teach teach the basics, teach the fundamentals. I'm very very uh, high on the base. When you got a fighter like uh, Rizicki, who's you know wants to become the next uh, Jack Dempsey, and he's really into watching the old you know old time fighters. Um, did you have uh, the same level of appreciation for some of the, the old-time fighters when you first took on Ryan? Um, because I know Ireland, which is where you're from, has a huge history of, of boxers, you know, modern as well as in the past. Um, were you When you have all these fighters that have all these different styles and, and loved fighters, um, do you kind of have to brush up on, on all the different aspects of boxing? Uh, well, all the fighters I have would tell you I'm probably the biggest boxing nerd you'd ever meet in your life. Okay. So, so there's very few things they'll tell me about that I haven't already seen and I haven't already watched a million times. So, for example, that's why, you know, Ryan appreciated me from the start. I, I, I never said you can't do that. I just said there's a better way of what you're trying to do. And you might be misunderstanding exactly what you're seeing on TV. Like, you might have seen this, but this is what's actually going on. This is how they're actually doing it. You know, many times he comes to the gym and he, he pulls out some kind of old school move. 
and I let him do it for the first few rounds. And, you know, he sees how it's going for him. And then I make a small adjustment to it. Okay, I know you're doing it that way, but why don't you try and, you know, sit a little more, open your stance a little more, you know, put your head to the back a little more. Doing what you're doing, just make that little adjustment and we see how it goes. And he goes in, he goes, oh, beautiful. I love it. So because, yeah, because I there's understand. A lot of... Go on. Sorry. I was just going to say, I, I love what you're saying about seeing something on TV and then trying to, to do it because a lot of times we don't take into account the type of matchup that the fighter had, the attributes that that fighter had. Maybe that, that fighter is a shorter fighter or a longer fighter going against a shorter or a longer fighter and uh, Southpaw versus Orthodox. And, and there's so many techniques that I think some people, when they watch tape, they're like, oh, I want to do that. But... Does, does it actually stylistically make a sense for the fight that you're going to have? Yeah, especially the way they're trying to do it, right? Like, usually you can alter everything slightly to suit the body type, right? So, you know, like Ryan's a pretty long guy, even though he's six foot one, six foot two, he's very long limbed, right? So, a lot of the things he likes to do from the old school, a lot of those old school guys were 5'9, five, 5'8 five, doing it. He's 6'1, six, 6'2, six, and he probably's got the length of 6'3. You know, and he's got long legs, he's got a wide back. There's certain dimensions about him that are a little different. So, small small adjustments to everything he does i don't think i've very rarely ever said to him that's not something we can do i might say to him that won't work with the next guy but there'll come a time where it will work so let's we can practice it now but just know for the next opponent probably not uh, applicable right and and i wanted to while we're on the note about your reflecting on the the cape breton card that just passed um one thing that i i wanted to ask since i knew that we were going to have you on um you know I, i've looked again at some of your interviews that you've done in the past you've had you know a lot of you're somebody that it's not like you could have just been a boxing coach you you also studied um uh irish or, or gaelic yeah. in school um, and, and in fact, I, I've seen you talking about how, you know, there's a lot of demand for those skills and you could very easily, you know, get a job in that, maybe get paid a little bit more than you know, the, the boxing world. Um, were you able, are you, were you able to make maybe some connections with Cape Breton Island and, you know, the fact that there are people that speak Gaelic in uh in in cape breton island and there's a, a rich history of the the irish and maybe some of the scottish people that that have settled there have you ever been able to make that connection yeah uh, not necessarily using the language but i've made the connection in terms of what type of people they are how they view the world and how they interact with each other and how they interact with others right so i'm from a very small island of, of it's a group of three islands i'm from the island i'm on has about 800 people the islands mm -hmm. in front of me have about a thousand. The island behind me has about fifteen hundred. So I'm from a place much smaller than Cape Breton. So I, I appreciate that small town mentality, hardship, maybe not traditionally dealing with things the way people normally would. You know, when you're fifteen, sixteen, there's no talking things out. You just settle it quick, and there's a bit more old school mentality to these type of people, right? So I grew up like that. I left home at sixteen, but you know, all my family's still back there, and. Um, I was a lot more understanding of Ryan, and mm -hmm. he knew that very quickly. And and I think it's awesome that uh, you're able to understand um, because I think Ryan. I mean, I, I've talked about it in a few other interviews, and right, and and it's not like it's a, a secret, right? He had kind of a, a rough 
you know, uh, earlier years, and he's been able to use boxing as a way out of those of those things and really developing himself as a person. You know, he's he's developing so all these different skills, and and I really believe that Cape Breton, uh, and Nova Scotia, and Canada are really putting and rallying behind him. Uh, you know, I'll go to a barber shop, and they're talking about Ryan Rizicki. and you know, there's a a little there's a bit of a mystique. There's a mystique about him that's that that I find a lot of fighters nowadays don't really have. And For sure. I don't know if it's kind of the uh, the Mike Tyson ask mystique or uh, insert insert name of physique uh, mystique, but you know he has a lot of power in his hands. You know he uh, he has uh, interesting psychology that he talks about in, in in fighting. You know the bruiser coming out, so to speak. And uh, I think people are kind of mesmerized by that. Did was that was that something? Um, you as a coach that that you kind of saw early on or yeah he's got he's uh he's 100 he has a presence about him that very few people have no matter what line of work they're in he has a real he walks into a room and without trying to he has the whole room's attention he, he walks out in the arena everyone's like you know some fighters might walk out and through no fault of their own they just look like an ordinary guy ryan walks out and you're like oh shit, i better pay attention to this guy <laughs> like who knows what's going to happen he just has that aura when it comes to the first time I seen him, um, Ryan could probably tell you the story a little better. But the first time I seen him was uh, at the 2015 Nationals when he fought Simone Keen. So I was sitting ringside and my fighters had finished. And uh, I'm sure you've seen that fight on YouTube where he just... I have, yes. It was like just the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen up close and personal. Because Ryan pretty much weighed 199 pounds and just had extra clothes on to get the 201. Simone Keen's is 250-pound monster who hit him with every single punch in the book and couldn't put him down. So unbeknownst to me, after that fight, Ryan had been told by everybody around him that mattered to him, uh, you know, to quit boxing, you know, it's over, it's done, this, that, the other. <clears throat> and I'm walking down the hallway and we're about to get in the elevator and he, he goes in. It's the first time I ever interacted with him. I just pulled him aside and said, hey man, great fight. Just do yourself a favor. Get any coach, anybody who's willing to teach you any slight bit of defense and you're going to go very far in life. Just get anybody who's willing to teach you a little bit about defense and you're going to be just fine. And he told me later that had I not met him, he's not sure had he kept, kept boxing. And it was funny when he told me that story years later after we started training together. I forgot about the whole meeting and he, he kind of sparked my memory. So like I'm watching him for nine minutes with Simone Keen and people think he sucks. And I'm thinking, Jesus, if anyone just taught the guy something, he'd be an absolute monster. I love that you had that um, insight, you know, watching it because I feel like a lot of people and, and maybe you can comment on this more. They look at a fighter and they want the fighter to be fully developed whenever they take them in, especially like a pro coach. Like they're like, OK, you know, I don't really want to develop any skills with a fighter, but it's really clear from the interviews and, and other things that I've seen that you and Ryan have worked a lot on your defense. Oh, yeah. And a lot of other aspects of the game, and you know, it's shown it's shown dividends. I mean, yeah, he had the the Revis fight. He uh, he lost the decision on that. Uh, even in that fight, um, he showed a lot of uh, you know grit, heart. Had a lot of moments where 
Revis looked hurt. Yeah. Um, you know, he was going again. Um, I'm just curious with with the the Revis fight in some ways um, kind of parallel the Simon Keen fight as far as you know him showing that even though he was the smaller guy that didn't mean that he was uh, the the smaller man so to speak. Yeah. I I know with that fight you know everyone talks about his grit and rightfully so because he showed some serious balls in that fight and mm -hmm. you know, it, it deserves to be recognized but the one thing he really showed in that fight was skill. And he wouldn't have got through that 12 rounds without the level of skill he had to back up the balls and the heart we knew he had 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. 10 years ago in that kind of fight, he would have really struggled because your heart and your your, your drive can take you so far. Like, he was hitting combinations on Rebus. He was slipping underneath on Rebus. He was mixing up his punches on Rebus. It just so happens then that he has one of the biggest set of nuts in the world to back up when he has those hairy moments. But if you watch back on that fight, I remember the eight round in particular, he came out in the first two minutes. He almost lit Rivas up with like this, this some nice combinations, touch and light, big shots. And like the people at Cape Breton who I love and who have been really good to me every time I go out there, like I'm always amazed by how I'm treated when I go. Like it's like I'm like the second coming when I go out there. It's, <laughs> it's honestly like really humbling. But they need to appreciate how far ahead of where he really is, you know, at. 14, 15 fights in with a 20-fight amateur career, he should be nowhere near the level he's at. He should be like 15 fights away from fighting Rebus and Peralta. And the level of steam he's built up in the last three years I've been with him, testament to himself and myself and, and, and the three Lions guys. For, But he's way ahead of schedule. So when he has little hiccups now, where he has bad nights, people got to realize like he has no business being where he's at. Like he is overachieving to a monumental degree. He had 21 amateur fights and he lost 10. And when he turned pro, nobody wanted to touch him because no one thought he would achieve anything. Nobody signed him. There was no fanfare over him. If it wasn't for Brandon helping him out, getting him a few fights early. It's not like he turned pro with any sort of acclaim. He turned pro to be a, a club fighter, he says himself, and make a few hundred bucks. What he's done in four years, like it's just unbelievable. And people should really like take a step back. And I'm not criticizing people if it's hard. Like when you're in the middle of it, you don't take a step back and really understand, right? Like he is way, way, way ahead of where he should be. Like realistically, you could have five more fights where you just stay at a certain point and he'd need that time to get the experience he needs. Like he's only had maybe 40 rounds, 50 rounds in the ring, which as well is ridiculous to be fighting world title fights, world title eliminators with less than I'll do the math one day but I think the kid might have less than 60 rounds amateur and pro in the ring amateur and pro like when you Does, when you really think of that in perspective it's it's nuts yeah and and you know he you commented a little bit uh, earlier on about the the last fight he had and I know that there has been some controversy but I really want to uh, on, on my behalf, uh, really say that you guys did a, a good job as far as you as well as Ryan in responding to the whole situation and the fact that very accepting to the rematch, of course, you know, in the terms and stuff. Can you just talk? Because I, I saw you you made a social media post about it. Um, are you are you able to just talk about kind of both of your guys' reflection of the last fight and? 
you know what 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 you think uh, going into this rematch what what you'll change or uh there's a few things on the day of the fight um i have a really good relationship with ryan where sometimes things don't need to be said anymore we can just have a look at mm -hmm. each other and we both know what's what right so the first uh few punches he threw in the back just physically weren't right you know, he gave me a look. He walked out of the dressing room where everybody was, and I walked back behind him, and we had a look at each other in private. And it just wasn't, you know, what it needed to be. And earlier that day, I don't think he was feeling right. Since then, there's been some health issues after the fight that I'll leave it to him to, to talk mm -hmm. about when the time is there. But I think when all comes out and everybody realizes what he suffered with just after the fight, it's probably, again, a testament to the crazy, crazy bastard that he had to fight at all. As far as the fight goes... Even with the health issues and the, the medical uh, things that came up afterwards. At, at 36 fights in, amateur and pro, 36 fights total, it's so difficult to expect a kid to always maintain that level of discipline and to control his emotion when there's, you know, three and a half or four and a half thousand people. He's in a world title eliminator. He knows if he wins this, he's going to more than likely change his family's life for the foreseeable future for the next four or five fights he's guaranteed to make, you know. Life altering, maybe not life changing, but life altering money. You know, life altering that you no, know, he can buy a house, he can buy a car, like buy them outright. And then, you know, three or four more fights and you can set yourself up. So I think for the first time where physically he wasn't at his best and then the emotion of the event and that triggering like, man, I don't feel right. I just gotta get this over with. And it was the first time myself and himself weren't able to get it figured out. So, you know, I, I have to take some responsibility in that I couldn't pull him back off the ledge. The ledge he wanted to stay on for 12, 10 rounds. He wasn't willing to come back and take a step back and, and calm her down. So, you know, me and him had a really good talk the next day. Obviously, we were together that night in the hospital for IV. We probably spoke for two or three hours the next day. We talked everything out. You know, like his main concern was I was disappointed. And I'm like, Ryan, you're the one getting punched in the head. I'm never going to be disappointed in you. I'm not the one taking taking risks with my life. But let's figure out how we can make it better. Let's figure out how we can, you know, make it safer, make it make it cleaner. There's nothing worse than losing or having a controversial fight when you know you didn't do what you could have done. You know, Ryan would be the first guy to be happy with. He puts it all on the line. He loses. No problem. I did everything I could. But the worst feeling for a boxer is to know, like, that was the fight, that was the result, and I did nothing. So not only is there a controversy, but no one actually realizes that, you know, at my best, that's a whole different different 10 rounds. Were you surprised at all that the rematch will be again in, in Cape Breton and not maybe uh, in Argentina or somewhere else internationally? Well, as far as the business of the fight goes, you know, fights have to be paid for. And I don't think there's the money, money in Argentina to pay for that level of a fight. And that's where, you know, guys like Dan and, and uh, the Three Lions, the team there, they took a big, big chance. And uh, another ballsy move to bring a fight like that to Canada. You know, it's been a long time since anyone other than, you know, Camille or Yvonne, and they usually have TV backing to do it, whereas the boys didn't have TV backing. That, that was a, a massive move. And... Uh, they're willing to do it again, obviously, as long as Peralta doesn't come in with, you know, ridiculous demands that just make no sense, right? Because as much as you deserve a rematch, you have to now be reasonable coming to the table and what your demands are, right? So, 
I hope they can make it work. And if they can't, we move on and we'll probably come across them again at a later stage. And um, I know this is the eliminator. Like, I don't know if Ryan or you are somebody that, that tries to look past, you know, what the the end goal is. But was there... Is, is there a certain title fight that, that would uh, make sense for Ryan um, had this not have happened the way it, it, it had? I think I think the logical fight next had everything done according to plan. Now, at the end of the day, he still has his win and a few fights and no one's going to yeah. re- think back to all this. But I think the logical pathway after this was going to be uh, to try and make a fight with Chris Billum-Smith. Mm-hmm. Chris Billum-Smith had just fought... Uh, it wasn't officially eliminated, but it pretty much it was because him and McCarthy were both in the top 15. He had just won. If Ryan had had won his without any uh, any nonsense or any controversy, those two guys, it would have made a lot of sense to to match them up, and that's a fight that um, would be a hell of a lot more comfortable for Ryan. Yeah, and because um, my understanding from from this fight that we were just talking about um, with the guy from Argentina. Um, he was a decorated amateur. Um, Phenomenal. Yeah. So, so talking about the uh, the whole experience gap, like there was an experience gap, but then Ryan was still able to be there. Um, and again, under the circumstances that you were mentioning, um, you know that that he will disclose on his own time when when he's ready. Um, so, do you think? Actually, no. You, you actually just answered that uh, earlier. So, so you think in a rematch, you know, removing some of those circumstances that that were there, that it'd be a completely different ten rounds. Yeah, like Peralta was everything we discussed in camp. He made all the movements we said he would make. The way he grabbed, we had discussed. We had, you know, discussed all the tactics necessary to get the better of him. No, it was always going to be an extremely difficult fight as you're breaking him down. So even if Ryan has the best night of his life, it's still going to be a tough fight for five or six rounds because the guy was a world-class amateur. He can keep that up for five, six rounds. But had Ryan been tacking away at the body the way he should have been early, you don't have those legs in rounds seven, eight, nine, and ten. If Ryan had been more in control of the shots, he knew he should have been taken first. You know, the the last place you finish is the head. You don't start at the head with a guy like that. And um, Peralta had his best night. Ryan had his worst night. And with that, some of the rounds were still pretty close. And there was one period again in the eighth round or the seventh or the eighth where Ryan finally started jabbing and he's snapping the guy's head back and he did nothing for the whole round. And Ryan went around by just throwing out five or six jabs because the fear of God was in Peralta when he felt that little bit of power. So Peralta at his best, Ryan at his worst. Relatively competitive-ish kind of close in certain breaths because Peralta is a very negative fighter, so it's always going to be a close fight for him. I'm confident that Ryan had half his ability. Half his ability, but fully following a plan. And that's a completely different 10 rounds. That's a completely different 10 rounds. Hey, I, I really appreciate you kind of reflecting on that. I know it's probably not the easiest thing with, again, everything that has been kind of going on with that. I just wanted to swing things now to the last time, uh, so the second, not not the last time you were in Cape Breton, but the time after that, when uh, Brandon Brewer was fighting against Antonio Napolitano, right. and you were 
I don't know if this is the first time, but you actually had one of your fighters coaching yeah. uh, your opponent. And I, I talked with Brandon, uh, you know, about uh, Lucas body and, and he said that actually this whole experience kind of brought them more together. Like it wasn't, oh, yeah. you know, a negative experience or something like that. But what, what, what was it? Was it, can you kind of comment on that kind of situation? Like, was it, uh, was it, was it an interesting? Yeah, yeah, it was funny. <laughs> it's funny, man. Like Lucas comes into the, the gym one day and, Lucas is quite the character. If you, especially if you know him, you'll, you'll, it's hard to say, explain him without making him sound like somebody he's not. Like he's just a real funny, laid back, easygoing guy. Like, you know, doesn't doesn't take himself too serious. But he walks in the gym one day, bangs on my office door because he was I was waiting for him. There's no one else there. It's me and you next, Bailey. I said, what's going on? He squares up. He goes, me and you. I said, what the hell are you talking about? He goes, I'm coaching Antonio. I said, oh, nice. So you're gonna tell him everything I told you, or do you actually know anything other than what I've taught you? And we just kept on that banter for the next six to eight weeks. He stayed training. Obviously, I made sure that him and Brewer weren't training at the same time. Not that it honestly it wouldn't have mattered. Um, I had tried to get sparring with Antonio and Jake, and they wouldn't do it because they didn't want me to see all the secret uh, goings on and stuff. And but it was all friendly. Me and Lucas were messaging each other quite a bit at night. Just again banter, ripping it. Even the night when we got in the ring. He tried his best, so I got in. Sarah was with me in the corner, and Lucas is trying his hardest to mean mug me across the ring. And I just gave him a wink, and he broke. <laughs> 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 but it was good, man. It was good. Lucas would make a really good coach if it's something he ever wanted to do. But uh, later that night, uh, <laughs> I, I had a good laugh at him. He goes, uh, so you're going to coach him for another fight? He goes, no, man. Do you have any idea how much time it takes to coach a fighter? And I'm like, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know. So he's he's one and done in his coaching career. Okay, I was gonna that was kind of leading up to if you th thought that this was gonna be uh, maybe more of a common occurrence because uh, I know Brandon certainly wanted uh, that rematch. You know, I don't I don't know um, fully what what was going on on um, Antonio's side. Um, you know why that fight maybe didn't happen, but uh, I, I spoke with with Brandon. He had his own. Uh, his own theories and it was uh some some interesting banter nonetheless um i now i want to swing things um because your wife um you know has went to to turkey istanbul uh, unfortunately things didn't really go her way but i wanted to say that um again i saw a lot of great things um from her match i i watched it um and and i wanted to ask um i i always cannot pronounce her name correctly and i was wondering <laughs> if you could help me out because i've tried i've tried finding videos of uh her name being pronounced and i've 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 not found that many so i'm uh, probably a 50 50 record on getting it right okay okay <laughs> so sarah so, hagi hat ju hagi hat ju okay right um I, I find it really interesting um, when when there's a relationship with um, you know a fighter and a coach being being married and I want to ask when 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 fights don't go uh, necessarily her way I'm imagining it has a bigger impact on you than maybe some of your other fighters um, it depends on the bond I have with the fighters so 
the one thing I think I probably have more so than most is if I'm training you, it's because I, I have a good relationship with you. Mm-hmm. And uh, the one thing that drags Sarah nuts about uh, my coaching relationship with her is I, I completely forget that she's my wife. Okay. So maybe in the moment of watching the fight, I would say no. I'm sure when the dust has settled within the following few days, that's when it would affect me more with Sarah. But in the moment, no. Like it's the thing she hates and loves the most about me as her coach is that I don't look at her as the wife. Okay. Um, she's very, very clear on that. Um, she wishes sometimes I, I remembered I was her husband. So, yeah, maybe that comments more. I mean, you're, you're talking earlier about being a boxing nerd, so to speak, or maybe a purist. Maybe you just um, have a way of separating your emotions from, you know, the actual art of boxing or the science of boxing. Is that is that more so what you would would say? I would think so. I would think if I was to say what my biggest strength is, that I'm very good at separating emotion. Especially as the years have gone by, like I might have been more animated when I was younger in the sense of getting worked up in a corner. But that's more just I want my fighter to pick it up, but not necessarily like I'm getting mad at someone. I've never been one to mix like how I feel about, you know, I'm not upset with you or I'm not angry at you. or I'm very good at keeping it separate. Boxing is boxing. Life is life. I seen I seen in um, you talking um, about kind of your move to Canada and and seeing the opportunity there, um, and I, I kind of thought to myself like relating you, yourself to maybe like a, like an entrepreneur or like a Steve Jobs character because um, you know I think a lot of people uh, again talking about you know making a compliment to all the different aspects that you have going on um, a lot of people wouldn't maybe want to leave Ireland and come to another country and and try to develop the scene as far as boxing. Can you kind of talk a little bit about that history, about when you made the move down here? And because I I know you've covered it in a a few other times, but just for the listeners who haven't really heard your story. And also, um, can you add on to how has your experience been in Canada for, for such a long period of time? Uh, so what it was, was when I was 19 and I had finished, I was either finished my undergrad or I was in between year two and three. Um, my sister was living with a lady and her brother was over here in a, running a soccer school in Toronto. So that summer I was looking for something to do. I was looking for a little extra work. And she goes, why don't you go to Canada for a few weeks? Get, just get a break. You can work, make some money, see something. So I went over and I liked the feel of the place. I checked out a few different gyms, just you know, having a look around, I was looking online what was happening. And I, I thought that, you know, there wasn't too much serious stuff happening here the way I thought it should be run. Uh, I went back home, I finished my undergrad, did a postgrad, I'd done the master's. And I realized that I had absolutely no interest in anything I had just accomplished. <laughs> I didn't want to, I didn't want to stick with it. So, um, I remember it was like December and I was talking to my older brother and like, man, if I take the job now here, I'll probably be stuck because it's good pay, benefits, pension, government job. And he goes, uh, either you take it now or you leave. Because if you go and you do a year or two or three years, you won't leave. You'll get comfortable with the money and it'll just be, it'll be too late. So I went online. I booked a visa that moment, December 21st, 20, 2011. I booked the visa. May 21st, 2012, I flew over. I finished my contract and I left. And it wasn't, 
anything like any epiphany or nothing crazy. Just I didn't want to be stuck in that kind of environment. Well-paying, good job, good people, but I just knew I didn't like it. And your your happiness is worth a lot more than a, than a miserable existence of work. <laughs> Do you do you agree? Because because from my understanding, English isn't your first language, Sec- correct? Second language. Is, Ir- yeah. is Irish your first yeah, language? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Okay, um, are you of the opinion? Because I've I've talked to a few people from around the world that have you know different backgrounds, uh, and I've heard this sometimes, and I don't know if you agree with it. Uh, the more languages you know, is the more people you are. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I can see how that is because I know speaking Irish, I can come across as a little more worked up. Speaking English, I come across as a lot more relaxed. So, yeah, I can see that. I've, re- I've read psychology books on that where every language kind of gives you a different bit of a split personality. So, like, not necessarily that you have split personalities, but each one has a different defining characteristic. And, and I'm thinking, too, like... Um studying like was it was it more so an a linguistic uh approach that you were studying or was it just the language itself that you were studying in your undergrad so the undergrad uh the majored in irish and geography so the irish language you have like um you do four different courses of the irish language per semester so over the course of the three years six semesters you've done about what is that like you know 20 30 courses and then you do a dissertation and everyone have different tests. So like you learn about poetry, history, the country, language, linguistics. You're kind of touching on a bit of everything. Uh, with geography, obviously, geography is geography. But I did geography through the Irish language. So okay. all my tests and everything was through the Irish language. My postgrad was to be a translator. So we, um, you had to be um, to a certain level of written and spoken Irish. So it's one thing to translate the words now you got to translate the meaning because how you how you write it might not be how it was meant when someone said it so you know i would have been qualified to to work in a courtroom for example and translate documents or translate a a a witness statement or something because in ireland now you're entitled to your court in 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 the irish language and there's a lot of work in translating documents so every legal document that comes your way from the government if it's in english you can send it back and demand it in irish so there's like a huge, huge, huge demand in translators back there. And to give you an idea of the lack of them, when we did the course, 90% of the class were in their 60s. When we did that postgraduate. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was just guys doing it for fun, you know, coming back and keeping busy. And, you know, whereas the younger people doing it, uh, three of them went on to be barristers, lawyers, and they were using it as a way to, to, to make themselves more of a niche. They weren't trying to be translators. They just wanted to have that ability to translate if they needed to. Whereas I'd say maybe two people in that course actually tried to do that that work. You mentioned um, part of your course was poetry, and I'm not sure if you're somebody who's really re- read into uh, the works of Seamus Heaney. Yeah. Are you f- okay? Yeah. I uh, I took a course um, learning a bit about him, and uh, I felt like it was a little bit of a history lesson reading his poetry. As far as the troubles that happened, um, you know, in Ireland and in Ireland, from my understanding, maybe maybe you have more insight into this is a country that has had many struggles in its past and kind of like, um, you know, forging steel 
um, you know, or, or making a medal, you know, it's, it's the, these types of things have strengthened the people and the resolve. Um, and, and more so about what you're talking about being from a smaller area and, and maybe the similarities with even here with like, you know, um, the, the strength of physical work and things like that. Um, have you been able to, uh, make any connections, um, again, with, with the history of Ireland, uh, to maybe, um, some of the great, the great fighters that come from, from Ireland. For sure. Like Ireland is a country of hardship and it has been for the longest time. And there's still hardship there in the North where there's still that divide. It doesn't get publicized too much. You know, like Ireland only got freedom, uh, a hundred years ago this year, which isn't very long ago. It's wow. like, that's you know, technically that could have been my, that was my grandfather. So my grandfather was in a country where he didn't have freedom. Very few people in this day and age can say that their grandfather was in a country that didn't have freedom. It is very raw and it's still very much, you know, maybe the next generation after me might not have it so much, but you know, my parents would have been raised by the parents who really suffered. So my parents kept that suffering mentality and that hardship mentality and they gave it to us. Now, as you go down the line, obviously it gets less and less, but I'd say, you know, that 85 to 95 gap of age and like i might not have seen it first firsthand back in that time but like you you feel it and that helps when it comes to to coaching a fighter that helps when it comes to you know being in a hard 12 round fight knowing the kind of suffering your people went through like i do think that helps it's not something i've ever vocalized but i, I would believe in it it's just funny you bring it up i don't think i've ever vocalized that no no, I, and I'm sorry if I'm bringing up anything like I, I, I try to take a little bit of it, a different approach to the interviewing process. Like it's not just about, you know, the fights that are coming up and the fights that happen, but I am also really interested in trying to get a little bit of that person out of there as far as, you know, what our, how our experiences shape us, because, um, you know, I, I have people, friends from, from different countries. Um, and it's always interesting how, you know, people that that have struggle in their lives a lot of times yes some some do sink to the bottom but a lot try to rise to the top for sure you know and 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 persevere and i think perseverance um when it comes to boxing like uh, is a really important skill that i think ryan has i think you as a coach have a lot of your fighters have developed um you know, not, not, not saying no, you, maybe it's a bad day. You, you still, you still go through it. And, um, yeah. And, and I guess going, going to, so we kind of developed that, you know, you're from Ireland. Then of course you have, um, you know, an, an, an interest, um, in the history, geography, you've studied it, you're now in, in, in Canada. Um, when it comes to the fight game, this is more of a mixed martial arts piece. I have people I've talked to from Ireland that are a fan of McGregor and not a fan of McGregor. And I'm just curious because, you know, the banter, the trash talk, the everything that's, that's gone on. What's kind of your take? Uh, I wish he'd retire. I wish he'd pack it in because it's getting worse and worse. And even like some of the videos he posts right now, it's just cringeworthy. I don't know, is he putting those videos up as a rise and realizes that they look like shit and he's trying to make people 
like he's actually got more going because you know, over the years I've sometimes put stuff up online for a laugh just to let people think that's what we're at and really it's, it's completely the opposite but um, it's hard with McGregor because I know of some stuff he's done for his family that you know would make you really proud to have any association with him and then you know these other things he's done consistently where you're like Jesus man pull your head out of your ass and and cop on you know so I I'm not going to sit here and bash the guy because I don't know how I would behave at, at 27 if I had $50 million fell on my lap, regardless of how hard I worked for it. To go from zero to that in such a short space of time can change anyone. So it's easy to throw throw stones at him from this distance, but you know he's made some pretty, pretty foul decisions in the last few years that would make you question what the hell is going on in, his, in between his two ears. That's the most kind of like fair response I can give to the guy. I don't think I'd be sitting for a drink with him any day soon. Yeah, I. Uh, as far as your assessment, I, I've had kind of the similar assessment, and a lot of people have. Um, you know, uh, when you look at some of the the strengths of McGregor as far as the, the fighter, um, you know, he fought in uh, the one the one forty five pound division, the featherweight. Then he moved up to lightweight, and then he's been fighting at welter. So he's been a little bit past his his weight class, yeah. and then some of the attributes such as like the distance management, um, you know, the counter punching, he's kind of removed, um, and he's kind of developed a different style. And then he, of course, a lot of people like to say his gas tank is maybe not uh, not the the best. And I really feel for the guy as far as like. I, I agree. I, I think he should retire. I don't. I think it's a. I think he kind of had his best moments, and and it seems like things are kind of going down downhill really fast. Um, yeah. But I I bring him up because I I do believe he has revolutionized not just uh, mixed martial arts, but also boxing and maybe the the kind of casual or general fans opinions about how fights should be conducted for entertainment purposes. For sure. One thing, one thing then, and no MMA um, fan can deny is he completely revolutionized the pace structure for fighters. Like the, the, the pace still terrible for a lot of those fighters, but it used to be worse, which is a scary thought. And he changed that <laughs> with all his, his bitching and moaning and his complaining and, but he changed it for everyone. And people don't give them enough credit for that. Like people are making money now, like real money in that sport for the first time ever. And it all traces back to Conor McGregor. And um, if you judge his career up into Jose Aldo, Jose Aldo and uh, Eddie Alvarez, even the rematch with Diaz, how he came back after such a, a terrible performance in the first one. If you judge his career to that point, I think he's got a pretty much first ballot Hall of Fame career. Because as a featherweight, he, he did really beat everyone. He had a who's who of lists on a, a who's who of names on his list at 145. But when you move up in weight, and you were used to being the bigger guy to smaller weight, your attention to detail has to improve massively. And this is where a guy like Floyd Mayweather never gets the credit he deserves. Floyd Mayweather was a 130 pound fighter who really could have fought at 126 when he started, and 130, 135, and he walked around at 140 pounds. So when he fought at 140, he's fighting guys who are 160. When he fought at 147, he's fighting guys who are 165. When he fought at 154, he's fighting guys who are 175. And he's walking around 145 eating chicken all the time, breaded chicken, pop, just eating what he can to keep his weight up. But his attention to detail improved. And that's coming from a guy who was already like 
ridiculous in his in his approach to boxing before that. But he knew as he got bigger in the weight, then he's now going to be so much smaller. His skill set has to be absolutely on point. Whereas Mayweather just, sorry, McGregor just lost his way and started kind of believing his own shit. Like, his skill set should be improving now because he's not the bigger guy, because he doesn't have power. He he can hit hard, but he doesn't have power for that weight class. He needs to jab more. He needs to be doing his conditioning more. Like, he needs to remove a lot of the yes-men around him. Like, if I was his coach, yeah. I would have got rid of him a long time ago. I, I wrote an article, like, in 2016, 2017. Uh, call me following the hype. Um, when he was... He, he had an interesting view about about Ireland and how he wanted to keep all of the people that he started off with and how people oftentimes they switch switch camps switch locations and things like that and it was funny I was writing that article and then I realized uh towards the end of of me writing it I was like wait but he's now making more and more changes and going against kind of that early mentality that he had because yes he's he's reconnecting himself with the the crumlin boxing gym that he, he originally trained with but a lot of the the members of his like um, uh, mcgregor fast and and all these other programs and his partners are certainly not people from ireland or people no. that he had always trained with so i think not, do, what, what do you think what do you think when somebody says well i want to just uh, be with my my people as far as training. Isn't that counter to maybe how to to develop as a fighter and and to have all the different looks and all the different people to to bring you to that international world class level? It it completely depends. So the coaches he has, I'm sure, got him to that point and could probably keep him at that point. But it gets to a stage there where, like you know. It, I'll give an example. Let's say, you know, Ryan gets to a world title fight and we brought him there and he's he's doing this. He's he's great. He's great. He's great. And I'm still bringing all these other fighters to world title fights and they're well, multiple world champions. But if Ryan's not listening to me, I could be consistently ranked the down one of coaching across the world where everyone agrees that there's, there's no doubt about it. Stevie's number one. But if the fighter is not paying attention, it won't work. So I wouldn't stress so much about whether his coaching are good enough. I'd stress more about is he actually willing to listen to them? Because based off everything I see, I would say no. Because I can't imagine that John Cavan is happy how he lives his life. Yeah, I've actually kind of witnessed a little bit of maybe a departure of John Cavanaugh as far as like uh, whenever things happen. Because I remember like early on, it was like they were inseparable a little bit. But... I feel like everything I've witnessed, they've kind of been more apart. Big time. Um, Big but time. Maybe, yeah, yeah. And maybe that's just how social media is. And people like to post their highlight moments. They're in all these different parts of the world and, you know, sipping sipping drinks on the, at the beach. But, um, he, he, yeah. He, he needs an environment where he's told what to do. He shouldn't be in an environment where he's telling anyone what to do. So, you know, when guys who come to me in camp, they come to me. When they're out of camp, I give, you know, this is what I suggest, but you're out of camp, I'm not going to stress you, so my voice doesn't become redundant, but when you're in camp, this is what we're doing. If you don't like it, this is in the camp for you. Um, interesting segue regarding the camp. I, I talked to Brandon about this. Um, I've, I've talked to the fact that 
Uh, Ryan also has this kind of mentality, but it seems with them, they, Brandon and, and Ryan, they have a bit of a shorter camp than maybe conventional because of the fact that they are very consistent with their training. Is this something that, uh, as a coach, you, you, uh, have other fighters who maybe do the shorter camp style when getting ready for fights or is this because they're kind of workaholics and always like to stay in the gym ready? Uh, I know what Ryan, where he started off, like the first time we trained together, I think we did four weeks for a fight. He took a week off, he was straight back. Then we had six weeks for a fight. He took a month off, he was back. So the first few fights we had together, it was like maybe out of a year, he was 10 months with me. And then there was maybe two months off. And then out of the next year, he might have been seven months with me. And we built a good rapport. And then I know in the initial uh, phase of COVID, he actually stayed in Guelph with me for four months when there's no fights at all. And a lot of people don't know that. And I, oh, wow. I asked him to come spend that time with me to really develop. And it was when he came back to the Sly and the Rebus fight where I feel like everybody really saw the, the results of that. So he made a big sacrifice for four months coming up here. And we were training five nights a week without having a fight schedule so we could really develop and not have to stress so much about a particular opponent. As far as camps go, sometimes with the boys, and I've told them both, um, especially Ryan, um, you have to do what's necessary as opposed to what you want. So just because you want to run 20K every day, you shouldn't. And just because you want to hit the bag for 40 rounds every day, doesn't mean you should. Because you're going to come to me half broken and I can't do much with you because I'm having to rest you so you're not fatigued by the time you get to the fight. And we had a couple of instances early days with Ryan where he came to me way overworked. And I'm telling him, buddy, you're dead. Like you're, <laughs> You've done way too much before you got here. So now I'm a lot more um, hands-off in the sense of, you know, we talk regularly. Again, especially with Ryan, we talk almost, you know, daily every other day. Two weeks before I know he's arriving, I give him a strict schedule to follow. And when I say strict, I mean word for word. There's no confusion on what's happening. So that the four weeks he arrives or five weeks he arrives, I know he's not coming to me like beat to shit. Because, you know, the biggest compliment I can give them it's their biggest strength, but also might be their biggest weakness, which is usually the case. You know, usually a fighter's biggest asset is also their biggest weakness. They overwork. They want to work too hard. You know, it's like a guy with too much power always wants to, wants to hit too hard, relies on it. You know? Very few people understand that, that your biggest strength is usually also your biggest weakness. And the boys definitely uh, fall into that category with their work rates. They're just nuts. Like, just bananas like what they're trying to do sometimes they're telling me they call me and it's like 2 a.m and they're in the gym hitting the bag because they talked about a fight and they got hyped and they go to the gym at that time it's, you know like such a good complaint to have but like they're crazy <laughs> <laughs> hey um uh stevie i i uh i know that we're we're right right for time uh so i just wanted to kind of recap and say uh so your next your next fight as a coach, 28th of May yeah. at the uh, Brampton CD uh, Sorry, the Brampton. Yeah, and then, awesome. And then after that, we have, uh, it's not been announced yet, but July 2nd, Lucas Body. Oh. And then after that, we have August 27th in Hamilton. Okay. Yeah. So you've been, you've been maintaining a very busy schedule. Do you, do you like, by the way, do you like busy? Yeah, I like busy. I like busy. Okay. Luckily, my union's on strike now, so I do concrete forming during the day. So the last few weeks, they've been on okay. strike, thank God. And we have another few weeks of strike. <laughs> another few weeks of strike left. So I'm just working a regular 40-hour week now at the gym. 
So normally I do okay. 40 to 60 hours at work and I do another 40 hours in the gym pretty comfortably. Um, wow. But as long as I'm having fun coaching fighters, I'll keep doing it until, you know, but I, I warn everyone. If I ever get to the point where like I'm done, it won't be like a big overdrawn thing. It'll just be like, I'm done. Because I, I never want to be that guy who's like bitter and resents what he's doing. Because right now, it it doesn't feel like work. Okay. I mean, it's it's always a. I'm always hyped to get going for a fight. I'm always hyped to study an opponent. I'm always hyped to try and get the best out of a fighter. You know, it's like it's like a big jigsaw puzzle you're constantly trying to piece together. I I, I kind of this is a funny thing to end off of. Uh, you know, when I first saw it, that uh, uh, Saint uh, the Valentine's Day massacre. Um, I went to my corner to or sorry, I went into the ring and I fell. I was wearing some Timberlands on oh, nice. <laughs> and uh, cut, cut my hand up. My fighter never even got uh, kite or anything like that. But there was blood on my hands when I was giving him water. And uh, he's like, how did? How am I doing first round? I was like, uh, yeah, you're doing fine. It's my blood that's all over you know, the water bottle, whatever. And then I, I come and I see the pro, Stevie Bailey, you know, letting, letting Ryan into the corner and stuff like that. And I'm like... Buddy's got got like running shoes on. Like I should have like you know dressed for the occasion because I was thinking you know I just my first time getting some Timberlands like you know I want to look classy, and I tripped right in there and I thought nobody I thought nobody saw it. And then my coach uh, Bridget Stevens is like, yeah, no, we all saw it. Like that was that was kind of funny. So you know anybody listening that like that was my first time in a corner. Anybody listening, don't wear your fancy shoes that you've never <laughs> worn ever into the ring. Wear something you're comfortable with that you can get in and out without falling. And, yeah. At least you got a good memory. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I felt really embarrassed or whatever. And, and, uh, but, but hey, those kind of memories are, you know, what will carry, I guess, for the rest of our lives. Oh, for so, sure, yeah. <laughs> you know, I hope, I hope if I ever get into the pro ranks as a fighter, I hope, uh, I hope something like that doesn't happen, but it no, seems no. to always happen. It'd be good. It'd be good. And hopefully I'll see you down there for the next show. Yes. Yes. Um, hey, really appreciate you give, being generous at the time. Hopefully that strike can uh, last a little bit longer. I would so love you it can, to. Uh, you know, I would love it to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you know, I really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. No problem, buddy. appreciate it. And I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. I had a wonderful time talking to Stevie. Hope you enjoyed that little funny story at the end. I hope it gave you a little bit of a laugh. Uh, so, as always, guys, if you're listening to this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to, uh, what I strongly recommend is that you give a fair and honest review about what you thought about the podcast uh, maybe you subscribe to it so that way when a new episode comes out, you don't miss it. Of course, if you're listening or if you're watching the, the video on YouTube, make sure to uh, like, comment, and share the video. Um, and as always, whatever time you're listening to this, I hope you have a good rest of your day. Stay safe and catch you on next time. <laughs>